So that was an awesome trip. I mean, I had a great time, and that was my insight through Chinese eyes to China. And Shanghai was just that's where that's the city. It's like I I was. It's like I was pussy footing around because I didn't know which city I should live in, and that last trip really sealed the deal for me. That Shanghai, I'm just going to start with Shanghai. So I'd been back about three days, and I was at work. Fucking didn't like my boss. I hated my job. Hated talking to my customers, clients, whatever. So I went online and I bought the ticket. December, I want to say like either Christmas. Yeah, let's just say it was Christmas Day, because I figured, what the fuck? Who cares? I'm leaving. And that'll be a cheap ticket. And I think it was was like exactly three months. I'm pretty sure it was exactly three months from when I bought the ticket. And I mentally tied myself to my office chair because I, I hated that job. Like, it got so bad. The person to my left, and these are like, they were older people that really needed their jobs. And they were walking out just like, screw you, screw this place. And when your teammates walk out and your cubby buddies or whatever they're called walk out, like you want to walk out and especially me so that was a really trying time but I had to I had to sit it out three months and then I could go to China so probably about a week in I held a meeting with my boss and the boss of the department I just told him you know it's really hard to do this and I I was only there like 10 months not even 10 months so I can imagine how people must feel who have been at somewhere for a while and have a certain relationship because it takes balls. It really does, which it shouldn't. It shouldn't at all, especially when you're like not even treated well. To tell your boss and your boss's boss, like, I'm going to be leaving at this time, I'm giving you, you know, a month notice and whatever I need, like whatever you want me to do, I'll do it to help if prepare someone new or whatever. Because it was, it was like all around, like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like, like, I hired you and you're going to leave? Like, and which is funny because the company ended up being acquired like two months after I left. And a lot of people lost their jobs if they didn't already quit. So that's just how work is in general, man. Like, it's like so important that you're there. And then it, it really doesn't matter at all if you're there. That's how you know, like, you're not getting the value of whatever you're worth when... But it doesn't really matter if you're there. So I gave them the advance notice. They were all like, I guess, okay. Um, and then all the people I worked with were like, dude, can I go to China? Like, it was like the escape plan that everybody loved. They didn't realize like, no, 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 no. I like, actually, I always liked China. <laughs> and I had been into Shanghai for several years, dude. But they were all like, can I do that? Can I do that? And like, Seriously, one of them came and visited me once I did live in Shanghai. That's how for real that was. Um, like I said, mentioned in the last podcast, I checked Mozzie's QQ posts, which is like Facebook, and saw pictures of my my feet under that restaurant table outdoor and her being like, look how foreigners act in restaurants. So she wasn't responding to me to me when I came back. So I already put it together. It took her like two weeks to be like, yeah, I don't. I guess, you know, maybe we shouldn't be a couple. But, I mean, I already figured it out. Because if you were into somebody and they left, you'd, like, keep talking to them, obviously. So I didn't try to investigate or try to talk her into whatever. Like, you know, it was like it was already done, whatever her feelings were. And that didn't deter me. And I think that might have deterred a lot of people. But I had my eyes set on Shanghai long before I knew her. 
it would have been a lot easier, obviously, to have somebody feet on the ground there. But it's like you're not you're not going to be the reason I like don't live the life I want to. So uh, as the time neared, I was looking on Airbnb, which is a relatively new site at the time, and I couldn't log in under my normal account. I had to log in with Facebook. It was the only way it worked. And I, I don't like, I didn't like using Facebook to log into the thing so everybody knows what I'm doing. But now I do. And the reason is because when I did that, it told me, hey, you know somebody or you have a friend who knows somebody here in Shanghai that has a place. It like literally tells you that. And so I clicked on it. It was like really central. It was in the price range I wanted. Um, it was a cool description. And it was like, you know, a crash on my couch, X amount. Of, so I got in touch with the dude and told him we have a mutual friend. And he was like, hey, man, that is probably going to be perfect because I'm going to go back to America about that time. I guess he's coming home for Christmas. Um, so the idea was like I was going to come stay in a hostel for a few days. And then when he's getting ready to go to the airport, I'll come meet up with him and and take his place. Um Basically, I had all the stuff that I owned had to be gone. Um, and I just started selling everything off, stuff that was really important to me, the keyboard that I always had since I was like in ninth grade. I mean, like piano keyboard, electric keyboard. My guitar, that was maybe the most valuable thing to me. Uh, I sold my bike. I left my car with my dad to sell at like a low price. But I was just clearing out, clearing out, clearing out. And uh, like a few days before my parents came over at the house I was in, um, and my dad was like really sad. Like it looked like somebody was dying. But I can't help but remember when I was like 28 and he was like, you should do this and you should move here. And, and I was like, I want to live in China. Like that's, I know what I want to do, you know. it's You don't have to suggest what I do. But he just like, he was in the middle of eating and he just smiled at like this like cocky smiled and waved his hands goodbye and was like, bye. Like in other words, yeah, you want to go to China? Like, go ahead. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that's something I still bitterly remember. It was like a really dick thing to do in a lot of ways. It didn't drive me to go. I was going to go, but I don't know if it was that you didn't, he didn't believe in me. Or it's a stupid idea or whatever it was, but now all of a sudden he's like sad, you know, I'm going to leave. Um, and I do want to solidify something, an important part of that, me moving to China was like earlier in the year in January was my birthday. And I was just trying to get like four or five friends to go snowboarding an hour away from where we live. So not like a major trip. I mean like a Saturday snowboarding thing or skiing. And I told everybody in advance, and I was like, well, like, this is something I just want to do in winter one time that I haven't done in a long time with friends. And I'll use my birthday as the reason, and that way we'll do it. And when the day came, nobody, nobody, nobody was around. Nobody wanted to do it. Nobody answered. So I was alone on my birthday walking down the street to, like, a town center, and I walked into, like, a sandwich place. The people in front of me in the line was, like, a white guy and an Asian girl. And I look behind me, sitting at a table, a white guy and an Asian girl. Walking in to get in line behind me, white guy and Asian girl. The whole restaurant was a white guy and an Asian girl. And I'm there alone, you know. And this was in January, so I had a girlfriend, more or less, in China. And I was like, why Why am I here then? Like, it's my birthday. Nobody wants to fucking do anything with me. 
why? Why am I going to perpetuate this? So all that like was, you know, fuel for the fire for me to go. And the fact that I went and was offered a job and was like a sustainable salary and I liked the city. So, so it was game on. Um, and as I went around and told people I'd be leaving, a lot of them were like, send me an email, man. Send me an email. And I thought, all right, now I'm at like six emails. I don't want to write six emails. So I'll set up whatever these blog things are. I'll send them a link to my blog, right? So that was the plan. Um, and I booked that place. The guy's name was Jay. And he was like originally from uh, something like Nebraska, Midwest place. But he lived in Los Angeles or San Francisco before when he knew my mutual friend and he had done like TV production. So I went out and I stayed at the same hostel that Rasan and I stayed at like uh, years before. And I remember like my very first day going into that hostel and walking out into the street like now living in China, air quotes, and be just being like, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get so lost. Like as soon as I leave this block, I could totally just disappear. No one knows me. I don't know anybody, and if I lose my way, I don't even know how to say, you know, where I was staying. And I don't think Google worked at that, that by that time, Google and Gmail didn't work. So it's not like I'm going to, you know, borrow someone's phone and log into Gmail. So it was kind of like outer space. And so I remember like looking at the street sign and being like, I have to remember that. Um, and I'd walk like two blocks and then maybe come back like I didn't want to go far and so there is a great story about me landing in Shanghai and uh, on one of those dating sites I had met someone named Hina so while I would drive to work when I was still in America I would call somebody like Hina on my phone I used like a special app to do to use I had a calling card it's funny I guess because I guess you could use some kind of voice over IP, but but I used to call in card and I would call her sometimes or somebody else and talk to her. Hina was a Korean or is a Korean Chinese who had lived in Japan for like seven or eight years. And I didn't know her that well and she didn't speak English that well, but she was willing to meet me at the airport. It was her idea. And uh, I guess I came to learn that Chinese culture is, is really um, pretty focused on picking people up at the airport. Like it's a real fundamental thing of being a good host or something there's also a lot of pride in living in a, in china or a chinese city and so when you pick someone at the, up at the airport it's kind of like welcome to my city i think that's my feeling so i'm i'm forever forever grateful for her for finding me at the airport when i landed and she got me on the right bus to go to where i needed to go and like i'll never forget it because riding that bus from the airport you know, there is like a, a magne magnetic train, one of the fastest and few in the world that takes you in, but it, after a certain time in the day, it's closed and you got to take a bus. So the bus takes you from the airport into the city and it's, I don't know what it is, 45 minutes or an hour and you're driving on this dark highway on it, and until you get like, you know, closer to the main city, it's it's like just an eerie, eerie, like Mars. I mean, it's just rubble and like power plants. 
you guys might know from driving up 95 into New York when you go through like, there's like a patch of like, I guess electrical power plants. It's like that, but it's it's like for miles and miles and miles. And I remember looking out that window and being like, dude, if 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 I got off this bus right here, I mean, that's it. It's over for me, forever. There's <laughs> a strong sense of like, I'm safe as long as I'm in this bus and she's with me. And that's why I'm forever grateful because she got me on that bus, which wouldn't have been, you might think, oh, come on, everyone's modern, internationally, just ask. No. So she took me down. Uh, she, she even off the bus, put me in a taxi, came with me in a taxi to the hostel. And then she turned around and said, I got to get back to the airport. I'm catching an airplane, which is like amazing. Absolutely amazing. Like no one would ever do that in America for you. You know, because it would be understandable. Like, I got to catch a plane in an hour, so fucking somebody else has to take you, right? But she did that, and it was no problem, and she was a sweetheart, and so forever indebted to her for that. And uh, I do, I don't really keep in touch with her, but once a year I might message with her. She did end up moving back to Japan, like, soon after that, real soon after that. Um, So I got to the hostel and I guess either that night or the next night one of the other girls that I met through that dating site but you got to keep in mind like we weren't like like Hina and this other girl Shauna who was in my the blog that I ended up writing all the time um they weren't like girlfriends they were just like people you that you had relationships with if, if that makes sense and she came to take me out to eat so the first dinner I had was with her and I called Jay and I said I'm here uh, I'm going to go out to eat with somebody I know and, you know, maybe the, tomorrow or the next day. So I ended up being like three days later. So I think I went out with Shauna again the next day or maybe someone else. I can't really remember. Shauna was funny. She was cool to be with and, you know, every piece of food you're eating, they're explaining to you what it is. So I met, I went to go get the key from Jay, which was at the li- Shanghai Library Station. And Jay was kind of a little bit, I guess weird. I mean, he wore like a kind of like a fedora and he just seemed kind of like discombobulated all the time. Like not really sure if I'm going to meet you or not going to meet you. Uh, Like I'll be there, but maybe I won't. That's the kind of sense I got from him. And and he's 10 or 15 years older than me, but you couldn't tell a whole lot really. Um, So I remember he gave me the key and I, I guess we walked over to his place and he showed me how to walk in and stuff. And uh, I don't know if I gave him the, some of the money at that point or when I actually moved in, but I I brought some U.S. dollars, and I know that was a big deal to, to hook him up with because he's flying into America, and it's really nice to know that you have enough cash like for the first few days you'll be in America. So I, I paid him, like, I don't know, $200 in American dollars, and the rest I gave him Chinese R&B. So my first... Like two weeks, I stayed at his apartment, which was on Wulumuchi Lu, in like pretty central Shanghai, in on the second story of these like two-story houses, like a row house or something like that. Not quite a row house. I don't know what you call it. And I remember like when I was when he was getting ready to catch the the taxi to go to the airport and leave, he had like a bottle of water on the table, and I was like, <laughs> so. Where do I get water? You know, I'm gonna probably need water at some point. And he's like, "Just the store, man. 
Like, <laughs> like, what do you fucking think, dude? But I didn't know how to buy anything or go anywhere. Or I didn't know how to do anything. So I don't know if he took off. And I think, I think he told me, like, I'm going to be moving out soon, so people might be coming over. I think he said the landlord doesn't know him. He said, gave me something like, watch out, the landlord might like arrest you or something. Was kind of his parting words. And he he had internet, but like, I don't, yeah, I don't think I had VPN. VPN is what you need to access outside of China. So, same sort of deal, like first day to go out into the street, like just trying my best to remember street names, which was pretty much impossible, so... I'd look at uh, I'd look at the buildings and remember the buildings like as landmarks. And there was somebody that I had met on Second Life who was playing basketball, probably ten blocks away from where I was at, and I was gonna go meet him. And I just was desperately trying to remember the buildings, like this one's there and that one's there. When I came back, I didn't see him actually, and I don't think I had a phone that was like hooked up yet, so. When I came back, I remember pulling up a 3D map of Shanghai, which is not like um, not a satellite image, but but like drawings, like kind of like a cartoon drawing. There's several, two or three websites in China that do these kind of like cartoon drawing maps of cities that are really detailed and pretty amazing. And I found where I was at, and that way I was like matching up the landmarks that way, like okay, getting some kind of bearing on where I was. And it was that time when I was. Googling something about, or not Googling, searching, I don't know what I was using, but I was searching for something about Shanghai, and the result came back, uh, 10 days total sunny days in Shanghai in 2014, or, well, that have been, I was there in 2012, so that would have been 2009. It was like two years before I got there was the headline in this article, and it was kind of like my throat just sunk into my stomach, like, like 10, only 10 days sunny, like. Like, are you, did I overlook, like, the base, the most basic thing of life? Like, did I overlook weather in this city? Am I going to live somewhere where there's never any sun? And I read the article, and it was like, they counted only 10 days. And, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I guess you don't consider whether or not there'll be sun where you're moving to. And there was plenty of sun, but... But there was a lot of air pollution and pollution in general and like months and months and months of rain and all that stuff like didn't consider because every time I went to Shanghai was the summer and it's great. Um, so I distinctly remember that. And probably my, my third or fourth day there, I was on that dating website and there was a, a really pretty girl who said she would come over and we'll do like a language exchange. And I went down to the subway to meet her, subway station. And as she was coming out of the subway station, I was just, like, blown away by how pretty she was. Like, this can't be happening, dude. There's, you know? Like, you're already happy that you're going to be able to spend some time with a girl who, like, knows how stuff happens around here. And then it happens to be, like, a gorgeous girl. It's like, this can't be real, you know? And so she came and sat, like, real close up against my leg while I was teaching her English. And she kind of taught me some Chinese, but I mostly taught her a lot of English. And then we watched a little bit of TV. 
and I we started getting real sleepy, and it was like one in the morning, and I just said, well, do you want to come into, I was obviously like very timid, do you want to come into the bedroom then? And she's like, nah, I, I better go. And I was like, yeah, I understand. Well, is the subway still open? No. Okay, well, here, you know, I'll give you some money, and that'll probably help you get home. Here's 50 RMB. And she just looks at me and goes, that's not enough. So I wrote a blog about this. Pretty intense, I think. It's definitely like mind-blowing situation to me. Because what do you mean it's not enough? Like, I don't have to give you anything, you know? I'm not even expected to give you anything. I just taught you English, like, for free for, like, two hours, three hours, whatever. And she's like, you got to give me more. I, I, I'm i not going to get home with 50 RMB. I was like, well, how much do you need? She's like, more. I go, how much? She's like, more. And then she goes, look at these clothes. Like, they're old. I need new clothes. And that's when it was like, okay. Like, you're already, like, you're, when you're confused, you're kind of, like, hanging in flux. And then when they clarify, like, I'm just giving you money then? I'm paying you to have been over here? That's when it's like, what the fuck? But... I'd been in China such a small amount of time, I didn't know anybody that I could talk to besides, like, Shauna, who was the Chinese, I guess. But I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know if there was people outside who were going to come in and beat me up if I didn't pay her the money. I knew that I you have to register with the police anywhere you stay, and I didn't register with the police that I was staying there. So that was illegal. I knew that she might have a knife in her purse. That was like serious thought in my mind as she like refused to leave without me paying her. And she started getting loud and I thought, fuck, the police are going to come and I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. And like, I was kind of terrified. And I walked her out down the street to get in a car and it, it just took a lot of effort and me being cool. And I guess having like certain things happen to me in the past where I could kind of deal with the situation. But... When she left, my world kind of got turned upside down because I didn't know what just happened. I didn't know, is this going to happen again? Like, how do I know if that's going to happen again? And I think I immediately went on the internet and found a book, an e-book that was called like something like Dating in China, Dating Chinese. And and I got it and I read that book like immediately. And that really was a heartbreaking book to me because one of the things it said was you'll never you'll never be able to meet a girl by her coming up to you anytime that ever happens it's some kind of a trick and that fucked up everything for me because you're telling me like unless i talk to a girl any girl that talks to me is is not trustworthy like i'll never have the chance of a girl walking up to me and just like talking to me genuinely and you might think well that's not true that's just his opinion but he had a whole book about, like, girls. He had two phones. So this is before WeChat and before even smartphones. And it was all this guy just, like, going around trying to screwing as many girls as he could, talking about, like, there's never enough, and there's this kind of girl, and there's that kind of girl. And it's just, like, I wasn't there for girls, and it just kind of made everything about China just seem superficial and sickening to me. So it had, like, a really strong effect on me. It made me even consider just leaving China. I mean... Sounds just crazy, but it like really hurt in some way. But after that, I had probably four more days until the first week was over. And I think I was only staying there for two weeks, something like two weeks. So by the end of the first week, I remember being like, all right, 
I got to start looking for a place to live. And I think I just used Craigslist. I didn't even know where else or what else to use. And uh, a couple weird things happened, actually. I mean, some crazy thing happened where uh, there was an old lady who had a room in her house, and I went to go visit that room. And uh, I think before I went, I can't really remember the details, but for some reason I was getting another, there was another ad in, on like the San Francisco Craigslist for somehow I got in, like was clicked on that. And that lady who was running her place in San Francisco was the actual daughter of the mother who was running her place in Shanghai. And somehow or another, I got the ads mixed up. And I remember being like, I don't get it, dude. There's a place next to a golf course here. And it has names like Jackson Road and stuff. And I was thinking, man, what part of Shanghai is this, dude? That shit's amazing. You know? <laughs> like, I knew there was, like, an American history in Shanghai, but that's, this is, I gotta live there. So, it took, it took, like, three emails to clarify that. And I really don't remember how that even happened. But that was one of those, like, you came in, it's just a cold experience. Like, there's a shared space, but it's, the, the sofa's made out of wood. It's just a wood chair. There's a piano that's covered in, like, in, like, a fabric or something. And that was the living room. And there was, like, a big old TV. And there was a little tiny room that I could live in. And the street, it was kind of far out of the city. It was just a cold. And uh, I remember being like, man, this, uh, this is a big deal where I'm going to live. Where I'm going to live is going to be my life. It's going to be my whole experience. And I don't know how many, I can't even remember how many places I looked at, but not very many. And then all of a sudden, I was looking all the time, and there was a boom. There was a new one posted, live in a penthouse with three other foreigners guys i just thought that's fucking that sounds what it like what i want to do um so i started i used skype i had paid for skype to use like a look to be able to call out and so i called it said kit i didn't know k-i-t what if that's a woman or if that's a man so i called and it was a weird accent found out it was australian but he said yeah come by and i'll show it to you so that was like my first like I'm gonna go somewhere by myself thing. So I I think I just wrote down I remember he had to say it a, a couple of times, Almond Lou, Almond Lou. Like so I'm trying to write spell almond. I don't almond like the nut. And I get to an intersection and get out and it's just an intersection. I mean, you gotta understand in a big city, an intersection, it could be like a hundred different places. It's not like like a suburbs where it's like oh it's got to be that place right it's like could be any of these places so um i was asking i I only knew how to say like water or river was like huh (laughs) in chinese so i was just walking up to people being like huh and pointing around (laughs) and there was people who were like genuinely trying to help me but they just couldn't understand what i was trying to ask them because I, I knew it was next to the river I didn't know where the river was somehow or another I guess I kept calling him and he wasn't answering and then he answered I guess I must have called him on Wi-Fi I think I think I got the Wi-Fi connected to a fruit shop I'm pretty sure that's what happens like coming back to me now I mean that's how like on the edge you're living like you're almost completely disconnected and completely lost and unable to communicate so he was like, yeah, I'll come out to the corner and meet you. So he came out. 
he's a stockier, older guy, a little, little shorter than me, Australian, who had been in Shanghai for 10 or 12 years, who owned a bar, who had just recently been punched in the face. He had like a black eye. And he showed me the apartment and I was just like, dude, yes. Like there was a big living area um, and a kitchen and it was two floors and the, my room was going to be on the upper floor. We had access to the roof, you know, and I was always looking for a place I could do like Tai Chi or Kung Fu in the mornings. And so I was I was definitely in. Um, and like foreigners I could communicate with who had been in Shanghai a while. So I went to go give him the cash out of the bank, like on the spot. And uh, and then when it, when it was time to move there, I still didn't really know how to find the place. And so I got dropped off um, what ended up being at the next door complex. And I was I had all these bags with me. I had like three or four suitcases, which is too many for any one person to carry. So I had to like carry two up like the flight of steps and then go back and get the other two. And I got to the gate and was telling the guard or trying to tell the guard that like the address um and he went like he went and tried to ask somebody else for something and I think I kept calling Kit and he wasn't answering and I didn't know what to do I was just like stuck there and time was going by and time was going and I started to get kind of pissed off like dude knew I was coming and now I can't even I can't find the place like I thought I was there so I ended up being at the building next door, and what I ended up doing was telling the guard, I'm just going to leave two of these bags and come back for him. And which, I had no idea if that was safe or not, because it was a new country for me, you know? Like, I, there's places in America I wouldn't do that. Um, and moved in, and uh, this room was on the 33rd story of a 33-story building. And it was a little room, it was the only one on facing the north side, which is uh, colder in the winter because the sun wasn't facing the sun. Um, and I remember the first night, it was so cold, and I was in this empty room. I don't even, yeah, I didn't have bed sheets. And I could feel the building moving a little bit in the wind. And it was terrifying. The wind was just going right through the glass. Like the glass meant nothing. The window I had in my room. And I was, I put a heat blanket, I had bought a heat blanket when I was still at the last place. And I had the heat blanket on and I was just, had <laughs> the heat blanket on me. <laughs> a little tiny one, so it's not like it even covered me. And I, I was terrified of being that high up in the air. I mean, I couldn't even really look out the window. And even my dreams that night or nightmares was just, I just imagined I could see myself on this like tiny cement column. That was just went 100 feet, 200 feet into the air, 300 feet into the air. And I was sleeping on this little column. If I had rolled off my bed to the left or to the right, I would have fallen. That was like the distinct image in my head. And I could feel the building swaying. And I was just terrified. And, you know, when you open those windows up, you can see thousands of other windows that are looking at you. And so if you're like a paranoid or, you know, a personable private person, you wouldn't you wouldn't want that to be your view, you know? I did have a great view of, like, the the river, but on the other side of the river were all these buildings. So you just have to mentally accept to some capacity, like, people might maybe would watch me. I don't know. And I thought, I remember thinking, like, I guess I could just lay on this ridge. I had, like, a, my window was kind of on, like, a like an extended, it's almost like a bay window that went out a little bit. And I remember thinking I could just probably lay here and just, like, watch people do stuff 
you know? And I had that thought, like, I'm going to get to know all these, like, windows and know people who live over there. Of course you don't. But uh, I had that view. And uh, I think that's, that was me getting set up. And then it, from then on, it was like just trying to get fed. How am I going to get food? How am I going to cook food? How am I going to eat food? How am I going to order food? That became like a long-term uh, mission that was like never stopped the whole time I was in China. But in the beginning, it was really, really, really difficult. And I ended up, I found a place that had pizza. There was like a pizza hut on my street. And I was eating that all the time, like at least, at least once or twice a week. I mean, I could have done it every day, but I had to. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to eat pizza, but I don't know how to eat. I don't know how to get food. But we'll get into all those things, I think, how how that progressed and how living in that room and having those roommates, which I'll also introduce in the next podcast. And uh, I'll just get more into, like, the, the general flow of living in that apartment and getting used, not even used to, getting more familiar with Chinese life. And then I'll get back to bouncing around based on topic. But that was my official move to China to start life, not really knowing anybody, but getting set up. Thank you.